The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash. This episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. Did you know that 70% of people in Australia who are trying to conceive are taking complementary medicines? That is, they're taking supplements like extra vitamins, minerals, or herbs. And this brings me to the topic of this week, which is the topic of naturopathy. Naturopaths prescribe lots of these things, supplements, vitamins, minerals, herbs. We go deep with naturopath Amanda Hybright. Amanda opens up about the many ways a naturopath can help couples conceive. How is it that she can help improve a man's sperm health, a woman's progesterone levels? How can she supplement vitamins, minerals, and herbs to help hormone health? Amanda is the director and designer of the MyGen Health range of fertility formulas for both men and women. I ask her, what is involved in developing a range of supplements from the moment that idea comes into your head to the moment that product hits the shelves? What's involved? We discuss how can naturopaths and doctors work together. Amanda Highbright is the principal naturopath and director of Darling Health. She has been in practice for over 25 years with a special interest in women's health. Amanda worked as a naturopath at the Joselin Centre for Natural Fertility Treatment Management with Francesca Naish for 10 years before establishing Darling Health. A passionate clinician at heart, Amanda was motivated to create a multidisciplinary clinic in Sydney's inner west that offers a professional and integrative approach to health and well-being. Over the last 15 years, Darling Health has become a leading natural medicine clinic in the treatment of fertility, pregnancy, and family health. Amanda specializes in reproductive health, infertility for men and women, miscarriage prevention, and preconception care, offering an alternative option for women and their partners experiencing issues surrounding conception. She utilizes both conventional and complementary medical models to diagnose and address any issues that may compromise a couple's chance to conceive a healthy baby. She's committed to the advancement of credible naturopathic research and is currently completing a Bachelor of Medicines Management with professional honors in evidence-based complementary medicine. Amanda also practices a paradigm in Sydney, an integrative health clinic specializing in women's reproductive health. Amanda regularly speaks on women's health, preconception, and pregnancy health, and naturopathic IVF support. Both Amanda and I are fans of Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou was an American poet, singer, and civil rights activist. Before we head to my interview with Amanda, I'd like to read you one of Maya's poems titled Phenomenal Woman, and I dedicate this poem to the many phenomenal women out there. It goes something like this. Phenomenal woman. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model's size. But when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman phenomenally. Phenomenal woman. That's me. I walk into a room just as cool as you please, and to a man, the fellows stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees. I say, it's the fire in my eyes, 
and the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist and the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, that's me. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch the inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breast, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palm of my hand, the need for my care. Because I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. And now for Phenomenal Woman, Amanda Harbright. Amanda Harbright, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure having pleasure. you on because you're a woman who has a lot of knowledge and you've been doing what you're doing for a very long time. So thank you for joining us. Um, simple question to start with. What does a naturopath do? Well, you know, I mean, I suppose that that's a bit similar to asking what a doctor does. You know, we all kind of fall in uh, different ends of the spectrum from, you know, very conventional to more fringe. But uh, I suppose my personal way of looking at, at, at my role with my patients is that I, I, I feel like I'm a bit like a collaborating kind of partner with them. Um, and that I think we're, you know, we're quite blessed as naturopaths because typically, Tash, you know, our consultations are often longer than, um, you know, doctors or GPs at least, you know, that we do have a luxury of a bit more time with our patients. So, uh, you know, our role is about, you know, I, I see my role as very much about kind of listening to my patients, discussing their particular goals their particular health concerns, the particular questions that they're not getting answered by conventional medicine and trying to kind of navigate a, uh, you know, appropriate treatment route with them, both with regards to whether we, you know, do further um, conventional or more integrative uh, diagnostic testing and then, you know, hatch a bit of a diet lifestyle treatment plan with them. So on average, uh, a first consult, so we take a, a woman who's coming for a gynae issue, how long would you spend yeah. with her on average? Usually my first uh, consult, if I'm just seeing the woman on her own, would be an hour. I usually get my patients to fill out quite an exhaustive kind of questionnaire, um, get them to access a copy of any of their past pathology, whether that's been done with other clinicians, specialists, GP, etc so that I can um, get a bit of a chance to have a good look at that before they come in. And then I spend a lot of time trying to look at all the corners of their world, you know, anything to do with not only just their gynecological health, but also their general health. I mean, as you know, if they've had a past history of eating disorders or autoimmune issues or mental health issues, et cetera, et cetera, that we, uh, you know, we're not just... Uh, a separate organ system that's the whole person that's kind of sitting in front of us so that 
it's important that when we're advising them on um, their gynecological health that we're looking at anything that could be a potential causative factor or any, you know, past spot fires that they've had along the way. And you also see couples because you do see a lot of uh, fertility cases, don't you? Yep, we do see a lot of couples here. And um, I think you would probably agree with me, Tash, that we're always keen to see the men folk. Uh, sometimes I get to see uh, the woman, the, the female part of the partner, um, the couple initially, and then we often um, try and haul the guys in later but then increasingly it can go the other way too you know I especially for my fertility um, patients and because a lot of them have already had a very extensive history before they've arrived at my door you know one of the things I do offer um, this is just for my fertility patients not for my standard gynecological patients is a bit of a kind of a 15 minute um, free complimentary chat so that they can just have an opportunity to ask me any questions. I can explore where their journey's been up to, what what their history has entailed, and so that from, you know, the time that I see them, I can be on the front foot with how we're going to kind of progress things. And it's great. Like there's, there's more and more often that I I will have the guys who are actually, um, you know, reaching out more and more, especially if they've already found out that they're potentially got sperm issues or they've had troubles conceiving with previous partners, etc. So whenever we can get them both through the door at the same time, that is obviously um, the preference. But, um, you know, sometimes I do see the women before I see the men. And on, on the men, let's, let's talk about the men for a little bit. Uh, what can oh. you do to help them? So a guy comes to you and he's got, um, he's had a sperm test, um, motility, so the way the sperm swims is a little slow, concentration is borderline, um, morphology, again, borderline, so the way the sperm looks doesn't look fabulous. Uh, what is your approach? So, you know, with, uh, you know, naturopathic medicine and, and definitely, you know, integrated medicine philosophically more broadly, you know, we we like to look at the whys, you know. So if I've got a guy there who's sitting there saying he's got borderline concentration and they're not moving as well and we've got an elevation of DNA fragmentation, et cetera, you know, my job is to work out the whys with them. And um, as, as you would be aware too, Tash, you know, there's actually a lot of really good evidence for um, uh, nutritional uh, uh, dietary as well as supplemental interventions with improving kind of sperm factors. And we know that sperm is so vulnerable to oxidative stress and um, there's a real role for antioxidants, et cetera. But we need to kind of work out why. So it's also looking at his lifestyle. It's looking at his diet. It's looking at whether his you know, the amount of alcohol that he is drinking, whether he's a smoker or a past history of a smoker or a recreational drug user, whether, he, whether he's sitting down too much, whether he's a courier and he's driving too much or he's spending a lot of time on a motorbike or a bicycle, which we know that can contribute to um, heating, you know, or whether there's real um, dietary issues. I mean, there was just a very recent published study that just looked at um you know, the only uh, marker they were looking at was just protein in a man's diet and the impact on quality of sperm. I think it was just published, you know, just um, 
this last month. So even if men aren't eating very well or they're eating a lot of kind of processed food. So my job is to just to kind of unpack all of that and look at anything that could be um, potentially compromising it. Because men, where men do have a bit of, um, you know, a benefit over women is that, as you know, that their fertility doesn't run out as fast as women's can. So that they take longer before they're affected by kind of age-related subfertility. So um, in from a naturopathic medicine point of view, we can often get really great results with the guys. It might take us three to four months before we can actually see that reflected in a repeated semen analysis. But um, we, we, we get huge improvements with kind of male factor fertility if we've got a diligent, you know, patient on board. Yeah, I totally agree with that because um, it's very hard to shift an AMH or an ovarian reserve uh, in yeah. women, but in, in men you can see distinct improvements or the opposite, you can see uh, distinct kind of, um, you know, declines in in sperm health, depending on what Absolutely. they're doing. So I, I find it very satisfying uh, looking after the, the male aspect of, of fertility because because of that, it's quite um, evident. Um, yeah, and you have this very, very tangible evidence, you know. We can't, you know, we can hypothesise information based on egg health and early embryo health and extrapolate it to women's nutritional health but we just get we get a lot more kind of information um, from a semen analysis and I agree with you I've looked at guys and, and it can go back the other way I can look at guys the same way and go what were you doing four <laughs> months ago why has your you know sperm gone backwards and you know I've had you know men will say oh god I went on a bucks week a whole, you know, week to Las Vegas with all my mates, blah, 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 you know, you could, or they've had a, you know, a serious infection or they've had some sort of procedure or surgery, et cetera, and you can see that their sperm parameters can take a bit of a dive from, you know, what was going on in their life, you know, three to four months prior. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget a, a case of a guy who um, came to see me with his partner and his, his semen parameters were all out completely, all of them, and except for antibodies. He didn't have antibodies, but everything else was out. And um, he would put work mobile phone and personal mobile yeah. phone in his pockets, in front pockets, and that was yeah. the only thing that I suggested he change, you know, kind of get a man bag or put it in his back pocket. And once he did that, it was, it was just fascinating to see how significantly things improved um, and it was just as simple as asking him where he had his mobile phone, mobile where he phone. would carry that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that, is, that again is just, you know, advice I give every man who comes into my rooms. And it's often one of the things that I observe about them when they kind of come into my room where we're just seeing where their actual kind of phone is. And I agree it makes um, prof a profound difference. And, you know, sometimes, Tash, I'm also surprised when I see really kind of sper poor sperm parameters with men that often they haven't been very well kind of in investigated. Like, you know, they haven't even, no one's even checked their thyroid or checked their prolactin levels or checked their um, hormone levels. So, you know, we like, we like to try and take a very, very comprehensive kind of overview and try and work out where the wise are. I've had several men who, you know, their partners have been through rounds and rounds of uh, IVF because they've got such um, poor sperm production 
and only to identify that they've got very elevated um, prolactin, you know, they've got a prolactinoma that they need Dostinex, you know, like, mm. and then their part, partner's going to get, and, like, and that's, that, that's not any kind of, you know, naturopathic magic. That's just been um, making sure that you really kind of investigate thoroughly. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, we could do better in the in the realm of, of sperm health. Um, I think the naturopaths do that very well, though. Um, Amanda, progesterone. Uh, over yeah. the years, you've you've referred patients to me for consideration of um, supplemental progesterone, be it pessaries, be it you know oral. Um, what I like about the naturopathic approach is is the way that you guys also want to work with the patients innate system as well as supplementing. Um, mm. Can you tell us more about how a naturopath goes about trying to support progesterone production in a woman who is trying to conceive or if, of course, she's not trying to conceive but maybe, you know, uh, perimenopausal? Maybe we talk about the woman who's trying to conceive first, but what's your approach? What do you what do you recommend these women do? Yeah, so... Um Again, when we're trying to support progesterone, we're going to look at what the cause of that is and that we know that a woman is more likely to produce healthy progesterone levels when she's having a healthy ovulation and a healthy corpus luteum, which is the you know remains of the follicle once the egg is on its merry way. So we uh, know that there's a lot of research to say that there's, you know, there's a lot of issues that can affect um, the health of the corpus luteum and the, um, you know, that follicular environment really. So it depends on if there's been a, a background of PCOS or insulin resistance. High stress will affect the health of the corpus luteum. Inflammatory mechanisms, um, thyroid function, of course, and excess cortisol, all of those things can affect the health of the corpus luteum. So it's really kind of important that when we're looking at boosting her progesterone that we're, um, again, looking at what is, is potentially associated with that. And that, you know, we're living in very times of estrogen excess um, and times of estrogen excess pathology and why uh, pathologies like endometriosis and polycystic ovaries and fibroids, et cetera, are just so kind of commonplace. So when a naturopath is looking to support progesterone, we're trying to kind of get the seesaw right. You know, so if a woman is already estrogen excess, it's not just about going in and giving her high doses of progesterone to combat that. We want to be making sure that we're working on estrogen clearance pathways, working on improving her SHBG, which is her sex hormone binding globulin, liver pathways that are associated with the detoxification of estrogen um, metabolites that can cause those kind of pathologies. And then look at those nutrients that have got really good evidence for boosting progesterone and that ovarian follicular health. And um, there's been really good work around it. You know, if a woman is deficient in nutrients like vitamin D, iodine, B6, B6 is just a game changer. It is just an absolute mm. game changer. I cannot tell you. I even had a woman just the other day who she was actually seeing me not for fertility but for really severe PMDD. And um, you can get over the over the counter Yeah, I, I take she, the um, Blackmores one. Yeah, the, uh, women's premenstrual support. That's a really nice simple one. one. Yeah, 
It's a really good, simple one, cheap as chips. And she'd been really suffering with PMDD. And her, I mean, it was her husband who just said, you have got to go get some extra help with it. And and we've been doing lots of other things and cleaning up her diet and all the rest of it. But she just said to me that she said, who knew that B6 was going to make such a profound difference? to my life you know it's made a profound difference to her life so we know that nutrients like b6 and zinc too they're almost like the little um light switches of our hormonal pathways they're like little they are necessary for a lot of that kind of enzymatic activity for not only the production um and the synthesis of our hormones but also the receptivity of our hormones so there's some you know, really good emerging evidence that talks about the role of nutrients like vitamin D and B6 are not only um, helpful for those uh, the, our hormonal pathways, but so that our hormones are landing where they should be, especially at places like the endometrium, because we know that women who often have progesterone issues, they can have those luteal phase issues, you know, the, the length of their second half of their cycle or the the function of their endometrium in that second half of their cycle can be um, compromised. And sometimes with a simple addition of nutrients like vitamin D and B6 and zinc, and, and zinc they can just, as I said, just have um, a profound impact not only on endometrial receptivity, but women's symptoms, you know, they feel so much better in that luteal phase of their cycle when we get those levels replete. You mentioned the luteal phase. Uh, what's your ideal length for an ide- for a luteal phase? So you know we we're always hoping for twelve days um, and above. You know, so is really what we're kind of aiming for. Um, and again, it, you know, it's it, it's also about how robust it looks like. So you you could still have like a fourteen day luteal phase, Tash, but then you could have a woman spotting like every second or third day. So it's not just about the length of it, but that is also kind of very reflective of progesterone receptivity or, or you know, there could be other factors that are going on there, like that prolactin can play a role there, thyroid conditions can play a role there too. So with my with my women who are open to doing temperature charting, um, and I don't get every woman to temperature chart because it can get tedious and some women find it very stressful, et cetera. Sometimes I just use it at some point diagnostically. I'll get them to chart their temperatures. And if you can see a beautiful temperature rise at ovulation and her temperatures are maintaining pretty well up until they, you know, they only just kind of crash before her period, then you, you know, it still looks like a fairly kind of healthy, robust second half. But if we're seeing like, clambering temperatures and they start to fall off and there's a lot of spotting etc etc um we know that we just need to work on uh, the the health of that luteal phase so you've talked about micronutrients like uh iodine b6 zinc how about herbals herbal medicine for supporting the luteal phase and progesterone production yeah so look our absolute go-to is definitely vitex or Chase Tree and Biotech has just great both published as well as kind of traditional evidence. Um, I've even had to use Biotech in the early stages of pregnancy with women when we're seeing um, lots of symptoms of uh, fragility with the pregnancy. If, there, if a woman is kind of bleeding a lot in those 
uh, early stages of, um, of, of pregnancy or, um, you know, that her serum progesterone is looking a bit kind of flat. So Vitex is definitely a go-to. But again, Vitex really helps produce progesterone because it really helps um, improve ovarian function. And it also has got great um, evidence for dampening prolactin. So if that woman has elevated prolactin, which for me, I see that a lot in my practice because prolactin is obviously triggered by stress. So, you know, my practice is women in Sydney trying to conceive, so they can be quite a stress mm-hmm. kind of cohort of women. Um, but also there's other herbs that we know can also improve progesterone because they're great ovarian tonic. So we know herbs like false unicorn root, another great herb called Shadavari, which also has a lot of traditional evidence, and another herb called Tribulus, which are also used a lot in um, women who, you know, multicellular kind of polycystic like spectrum uh, or hypothalamic amenorrhea. You'll see that those can also help produce progesterone um, as, a, you know, as a result of, you know, improving the um, ovulation function. Over the years, I've I've just heard of you know patients who've been on X Y Z supplements and they've had to stop them because their liver function tests have gone off. Um, do you when you put patients on herbs, do you do you have a, a, a um, kind of an outline of who you should be monitoring depending on what supplement they're taking? Can you tell us more yes. about that? Yes, I do. Um, so there, I feel that uh, people who are taking supplements that supplements or herbs, um, it's, I have definitely had it with patients taking um, Chinese herbs that aren't regulated here. So one of the, one of the things that um, is equally, you know, can be, um, you, you know, an impediment of, of, of getting a lot of um, you know, supplements on the market as well as something that I'm very grateful for is how strict our TGA is here. And we're very, very lucky here in Australia that we have such a strict TGA. So with supplements that are kind of manufactured here in Australia, I just don't see that particular issue, Tash. I really don't. Mm. But when my patients and a lot of people are just buying them online and they're buying them from America where, you know, the FDA in America is um, very kind of, you know, loose and slack with what it allows to actually kind of hit the market, then I have also seen those outcomes or that women have felt very unwell with those supplements or they've bought herbs that have come from other countries where we don't we, we don't even have um, evidence for what's in them. So with anything, there's a lot of supplements that will have like uh, it, the ingredients will be just a proprietary kind of product of a whole lot of things that have supposedly been put in it and you don't even get the measurements of what is actually in there. So it could be anything from those supplements, uh, those individual nutrients or herbs being incredibly kind of over-prescribed or very kind of, you know, negligible, negligible amounts in there. So I, I find that when, um, when a patient who is under good, uh, naturopathic or integrated kind of medicine care and they're using supplements that are manufactured here, that's rare for that to happen. Unless they're overprescribing, you know, like if someone's overprescribed, just like any medicine, they do have to be kind of metabolized like medicines that, you know, the higher the liver and that. 50 pathways. So, if 
they are, you know, taking forms that aren't um, well researched or they're taking them in very high um, amounts. You know, I've seen that a few with a few of my bodybuilder patients. They will be taking like five or six zinc tablets a day or something. So you can see that that, that um, but that, that's just over prescription and they're giving them considered advice. But um, I, I, I rarely see that when they're well managed or under the care of practitioner. You've got your own Australian vitamin and mineral supplement company, MyGen Health. How long mm-hmm. um, has that been your baby for? So we started that in 2011. So we're coming up, yeah, it's about our ninth year now. So. And can you talk to um, us about how you go about developing a product, you know, from idea um, to research to trialing to actually getting it on the shelf? What was your journey? Yeah, yeah. So, um, look, my journey was really kind of clumsy, to be to be honest. You know, the motivation for putting that product together was because of my disappointment with what was actually on the market, and um, it was actually just uh, ended up being a, a really um, educating kind of process because you know, I'm, uh, taking off the hat of a clinician and putting on the hat of a manufacturer was was actually really kind of enlightening because it made me realise um, a lot of supplements that are on the market that are very poor forms, that aren't very, that don't offer very bioavailable forms of all those kind of specific nutrients. It also uh, illuminated me to realising that there's a lot of supplements out there that are very empty, you know, so I was... Um, because the margin formulas, I mean, they've been designed for male and uh, female fertility needs. It was just such an extraordinary process for me just to see how much you can get in a tablet. And and having said that, anybody who's taken my margin formulas will, tell, will say to me, Amanda, your tablets are way too big. So I definitely agree with that as well. But just seeing how how much you can actually fit in a tablet was, um, yeah, extraordinary for me. And that And that I was looking... You know, I was motivated to design those formulas because I was really unhappy with not only the forms that I was prescribing often for my patients, but the actual doses. And that a lot of the supplements on the market weren't really kind of reflective of evidence-based medicine. Thankfully, that's changing. So I definitely acknowledge there's a lot of really good competitors out there with um, supplements. Uh, now, but you know, it was a really kind of intriguing process and working with a lot of those chemists and biochemists and really learning from them about, you know, like, so for example, they'll send you a spec on magnesium and they'll tell you how much of one form of magnesium you need to get this level of um, effective, uh, you know, ma- magnesium kind of actually available in the supplement and the spectrum of. You know, and, and it's just, it's like good wine, Tash, you know, like good wine is always going to be better and more enjoyable and work better than like cheap wine, you know. <laughs> so it's the same with, it's the same with, same with, um, cheap supplements. And, and it also gave me a bit in, uh, of an insight into the whole kind of TGA process, which can be a total thorn in your side, um, a lot along the way, but, Equally, uh, so as a manufacturer, I can find them difficult. As a cl- clinician, I'm often very grateful for them because they are so strict about what they um, actually allow 
to come on to the market and they'll often be doing those random test testing and you have to be producing um, testing along the way to prove that your product is actually re reaching its use by date and that there still is efficacious levels of those particular nutrients that you've got on your label at, at, all, at all those kind of timelines along the way and they can do a spot check on you at any time as well so there's a lot as clinicians that we have to be grateful for how um yes how strict our tga um is here in, in australia really i suppose it's there to protect us isn't it it is there to protect us yeah and also that that you want people to be taking things that are actually effective, yep. you know. There's a lot of things out there that people think that they're taking but there is actually effective. And I'll see this all the time because I do regular nutrient testing on my patients. So they'll tell me oh, I've been taking this form of zinc or this form of B12 or this, you know, iodine or I think, and they think they're taking therapeutic amounts of it. And then we actually do some rigorous testing on them and, and find that, uh, serum levels or, new, or urine levels or whatever we're particularly kind of measuring uh, are not actually reflecting the fact that they have been supplementing. That's actually a really good point <laughs> because the other day yeah. I, I, I checked a woman's zinc levels and um, she'd been taking zinc for ages and I just couldn't understand why the zinc levels were still low. So I should mm. ask what supplement she's taking and how much. Is that what I should be doing? You should be asking what's the dose and mm -hmm. what form of zinc it is. So okay. there's some forms of zinc and it might say it's equivalent of, you know, 25 milligrams of zinc, but it won't be a very absorbable form, you know. So if it's a zinc picolinate or a zinc citrate, we know that she'll be getting a lot more kind of absorbable mm. amount of zinc available. And we see it with iodine all the time too, Tash. I mean, mm. as you know, you know, WHO and the National Health and Medical Research Council here, you know, recommend that all women who are trying to conceive or breastfeeding should be taking iodine or a supplement with iodine. And, you know, I will have women who will say the same thing to me all the time, but they're like, I've been taking iodine, but I will test their levels. And Australia is definitely an iodine deficient country. So we have to kind of extrapolate a lot of the research around iodine from, you know, uh, more from uh, an Australian population, but they'll be, you know, and they'll have repeated miscarriage or thyroid problems or whatever else might be kind of happening. And then I'll test their iodine levels. And despite the fact that they've been taking it, they're not absorbing it or they just haven't simply been taking enough. How do you measure their, their iodine levels? How do naturopaths do that? So we do that via a urine test. And nothing is perfect, as you know, with any kind of testing. So we all, we use those things. Um, we, we use all that testing as far as kind of markers, but I absolutely routinely test every single woman who's trying to conceive who walks in my door. I mean, the current statistics in New South Wales is 40 to 50% of women of childbearing age will be iodine deficient. Mm. And when, you know, it plays such a huge role in thyroid function, thyroid function plays a role in IQ, baby's IQ, neurological development. Uh, I think we should all Absolutely. be doing that. And the guidelines, I think be. the Ranscog I mean, guidelines recommend that anyway, don't they? Not so much testing, I think, but they mention supplementation. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely kind of record. It's definitely 
recommended. We know I'll, I'll often test a woman in the early stages of pregnancy and the correlation, if, if a woman is coming back really severely deficient and her risk, like often I'll get her levels back and if I see that she's severely deficient, it is not uncommon for, for me to say that she'll end up miscarrying that pregnancy. And as we know, you know, thyroid, I'm really passionate. I have a lot to say about, you know, thyroid mm. is an epidemic here in Australia, Tash. You know, we mm. just normalise it. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a public health crisis here. And I, and I wonder if it was affecting men as, as often it, as it is affecting women, whether there would be a lot more investigation and research dollars heading that way. And we all just normalise it. I mean, you and I know, like one in, you know, four of our women that we see, you know, mm. there isn't a day in our practising lives we don't see a woman with a thyroid issue. And, and you know, that's, you know, it's something I'm deeply concerned about. Um, and iodine plays a huge role with uh, not only women's fertility but um, with a lot of other pathologies, including, we know, um, fibrocystic breast. Mm. you know thyroid issues definitely especially with fibroids etc etc yeah a lot of women out there with thyroid antibody levels but are clinically with thyroid or have a normal tsh which is probably another podcast in its own isn't it it, it is it is another <laughs> podcast in its own and they're women who fall between the cracks aren't yep, they like yep. we see that but i i'm also heartened to see because obviously so many of my patients are also under the care of an IVF doctor. I'm also really heartened to see that increasingly um, I'm seeing IVF doctors definitely testing iodine more and more and, def and definitely testing thyroid antibodies more and more and being observant of that when there's an embryo back on board or when we're in those early stages of pregnancy, which even five years ago I didn't see as uh, investigated as closely as um, specialists are doing that now. You know, it's, it's great to see that. And it's not just about women, you know, falling pregnant, carrying a baby to term. It's also the postpartum period, which I think is very much neglected because if a woman does have antibodies uh, in the preconception period, but a TSH is normal, most people will say, I'll just watch it or don't do anything about it. But then they forget that that woman may develop, you know, hypothyroidism postpartum and have symptoms of, of depression and anxiety and it just I feel gets neglected big time in that way. Yeah, I I absolutely totally agree with you. And I and the same, the amount of women that I've had sitting in my room crying with their brand new beloved baby and they've been put on antidepressants and they still feel terrible and no one's just looked at their thyroid and their thyroid we know that any big um, times of hormonal shift, whether it is puberty, pregnancy, breastfeeding and menopause, that's when you're likely to see a woman's thyroid really do a wobble. And, you know, the amount of women that they've been prescribed an antidepressant, but they probably, <laughs> often they need thyroxine, you know, and other, other good kind of, you know, nutritional support around doing everything that they can to optimise their thyroid function. Going back to um, making your own supplements, say if I had an idea of developing one for or wanting to develop one to improve women's libido, say if you have the idea, where do you go to after that? I mean, I suppose, well, yeah. Well, you would need definitely to collaborate with people who um, 
uh, it, it depends if you were planning on doing a herbal supplement or a nutritional supplement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So with with me, with my MyGen supplements, because so many of um, my patients are doing IVF, I was very deliberate about not including any kind of botanical medicines in there because we don't want to be in any way kind of competing against um, any of their drug prescriptions. But if you were looking at, you know, at libido, for example, then I, I think you would need to be making sure that uh, that you do your research, you know, like do, um, you know, do research on those kind of nutrients that we know that can make a real difference. Women's libido is can be um, when we're looking at it as a purely physiological issue. I mean, obviously, we know stress and cortisol and all those other things are going to kind of impact upon her libido. But we're often having to use nutrients that really help boost the production of DHEA, work with her adrenal hormones, work with her testosterone production. As you know, DHEA is that real kind of mother hormone that as it gets down regulated to um, testosterone and estrogen that we can see an improvement in her libido. And again, it's that our libido is connected to our hormonal vitality. So when women are, you know, really kind of hormonal, you know, healthy and, ro and robust, that their libido will be, would be better. So then you would take that formula to one of the, there's quite a few of them supplement manufacturing kind of companies out there just to see how all those, and they've all got their in-house kind of biochemistry and scientists just to see could you mix. So one of the herbs we use um, regularly to boost women's libido and also to boost their, her DHEA levels is a herb called tribulus. You know? mm. So you need to see that, say, if you were putting tribulus in with nutrients like B vitamins and zinc and those kind of nutrients that we know can also help libido, that there you can make sure that you have uh, stability. So you take those formulas to, um, you know, whoever the manufacturing company is that you're engaging and just to see whether they, and they can off, they'll often do a bit of a dummy run to see if, we've, if you've got stability. Um, and then you go from there and then you take it to market, take it to the TGA, take it to market. Sounds really interesting. So, yeah, but you can't, and obviously, you have to be very careful about what your claims are. And the TGA is getting much stricter over the last 12, 18 months. So hence why every kind of supplement com um, company in the country at the moment is having to rewrite all their labels because they've become a lot stricter mm. about the claims you can have. So sometimes it's about that language may help, may optimise, may, you know, you know, Traditional evidence, or etc., etc., mm. as opposed to "we'll do this, make. we'll do that." Yes, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. you've got uh, in your MyGen Health range, you've got uh, four uh, formulas that I can see. Um, yeah. With the female fertility formula, uh, it's yeah. recommended for women planning to get pregnant to support ovulation, hormone production, and conception. Uh, are there twenty-five ingredients in that in that product? Something That's thereabouts. A good question. I've got to say there is something like that. Yes. I've just gone onto your website and had a look. Um, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. 
I suppose it's just a number. 26. 26. 26. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that's where I'm saying mm. it was so interesting because, you know, if you actually look at the amounts that are in the MyGen compared to a lot of standard formulas out there, like even though we've got 26 ingredients, we still have them higher um, values, higher milligram or microgram doses compared to what's out there. So that's why it was a very interesting process for me. So say a, a- uh, suddenly there's a new ingredient or a vitamin or mineral that's been, you know, you know, b- boasted to be the latest, the best in uh, boosting fertility. Do you just go back to your supplement com- company and say, can you add a bit of this to my 26? Yes, Is it as simple absolutely. as that? So, uh, absolutely. So that's what I did with, you know, one of my new – uh, favorite supplements at the moment and a- anybody who knows, if you spoke to my staff or any of my colleagues that are sick of me banging on about it is choline. And look, and choline, I mean, there's been evidence. Tell us choline about choline. Yeah. So look, choline is, um, you know, and you watch it, it's, you know, choline's increasingly the new kid on the block. It's kind of my favorite child at the moment. And it's a really important methylating Nutrient, and when we talk about methylating nutrients, those nutrients that are absolutely necessary for genetic expression, and it is one of the ones that again is, is missing in a lot of um, conventional formulas. Like you know, some of the better formulas are starting to catch up and put choline in their formulas. But choline is a nutrient that's very easy to be deficient in our diet. Uh, you know, every, everyone talks about you know you must you know take folic acid when you're trying to conceive. Well, if you're eating a lot of green leafy vegetables and you have a reasonable diet like it's not difficult to actually get adequate amounts of folate in your diet but we know that with choline um that the human fetus is actually born with three times the maternal blood um, levels of choline and it's absolutely crucial for breast milk women will have very poor um, lactation experiences if she's low in choline um, amniotic fluid, uh, I think it contains something like 10 times amount of choline that is actually in the maternal blood supply. So it's, and you might know this too, there's this incredible wisdom that happens with the female body that certain nutrients at certain stages of the pregnancy, the female body absorbs much better. So iron is a really good example that we know that a woman's um, basically that a, a woman's innate ability to absorb iron really increases in the second trimester, as does zinc, because they're those real kind of bodybuilding nutrients that really need to happen for the fetus from, from the second trimester onwards. But if a woman is choline deficient, she has like, you know, got a fourfold increase likely of having a neural tube defect. And there is a really co- um, common um, genetic mutation out there. And I know Everyone talks about MTHFR all the time, but there's a, there's an even more common genetic mutation out there, which is called the PEMT genetic mutation. And I think there's something like 75% of people are either heterozygous or homozygous for that polymorphism. Mm-hmm. And it also correlates very closely with idiopathic male infertility. And it's very, very difficult to get choline in a vegetarian or a vegan diet. It really is. So, and we know that a lot of our patients are increasingly on more kind of plant-based diets. And um, if uh, women are not 
getting a lot of choline that we get from a lot of animal fats and eggs are a fantastic source of it. You can get choline from nuts, but women have to eat a lot of nuts to be able to kind of get their levels of, of choline. But it is, there's, there's more and more information and great evidence that is being published about our increasing need for, um, choline. And it's also one of the nutrients. I don't know if you test Homocysteine or not, Tash, but, um, I do, we, yes, yep. um, yeah, homocysteine I find elevated in a lot of my patients with uh, IVF failure or, uh, you know, real history of recurrent miscarriage. And you can give them all the standard B vitamins like folic acid and B12, B6 to try and pull down, um, their homocysteine. But when their homocysteine is really kind of, uh, resistant to B vitamins, it's often a choline issue that you're seeing. And now that we're doing, you do genetic tests. It's the PMT polymorphism. So it's really, I cannot tell you how many of my patients who, especially with that kind of clinical picture of um, IVF failure, elevated homocysteine, recurrent miscarriage, his past history of trisomy pregnancies, et cetera, et cetera, will have that um, be homozygous or have two of those genetic mutations inherited from both of their parents on on that uh, gene. So when I found out, when I started reading more and more about choline, you know, I went straight back to the manufacturers and really increased the amount of choline that um, I, I put in the supplement. So we've got about 400 milligrams in there at the moment. So, so choline's a um, new kid on the block, but it's a star. It, it is. It is a, it's a bit of a new kid on the block as far as, uh, research goes and we're learning more and more about it and as we're all increasingly doing more genetic testing it's, um, it's fascinating and it's really um, you know it can be very difficult to get uh, adequate levels in our diet. On your uh, website you also recommend that women start this fertility formula three to four months out from actually actively trying to conceive. Can you explain to our listeners why that's important? Yes, so it's a bit, uh, you know, that, that same kind of reason when I touched on with men, when we look back and can, you know, create a timeline for when they, uh, went on a big bucks week. But it's, we know that for, uh, nutritional considerations have that impact on the gamete, which is the sperm and egg development that you often need that 90 day window. So that when we're, you know, trying to really, you know, when we're working on trying to kind of improve fertility, so nutrients for genetic expression, um, you know, important nutrients for mitochondrial function, which is the little areas of both the egg and sperm cells that produce energy and can definitely be affected by pathologies like PCOS or uh, age-related subfertility. Uh, and even those methylating nutrients, which is... Uh, Again, those B vitamins, choline, et cetera, to have that, what we call is an epigenetic impact to kind of change uh, genetic expression. And so does lifestyle and stress and sleep and a lot of other factors will um, affect, you know, that development of the gamete. It's what we're doing kind of three months before we actually start attempting to conceive that's going to make the difference. So what we were doing three months ago is going to reflect that sperm and egg that um, arrive to, to meet each other on um, 
you know, that, that, that day when fertilization takes place, you know, they will be designed from the health of the each prospective kind of um, parent from that three months prior. Can you talk more on alpha lipoic acid, which you have in the female fertility formula? Yeah, so alpha lipoic acid is, again, um, you know, you'll regret asking me these questions, um, Tash, <laughs> because I just bang on and on Keep and on. Keep doing uh, it. That's why I'm asking you because I know you learn yeah. you know lots. Yeah, so it is an absolute kind of favourite of mine. And that's why when you when you ask about nutrients, it's just like, oh, which is your favourite child? It's really hard. But alpha lipoic acid is... Uh, it's 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 a bit it's a bit similar to coenzyme Q10 where we have a lot of evidence with both male and female fertility that it is a mitochondrial nutrient. So it really works uh, within the cell just to help produce energy. And we need we know that there's a lot of energy needed from the time that the sperm and egg meets for that very very early development, which happens in a matter of a few days before that. Um, you know, early zygote then turns into the blastocyst. And the wonderful thing about lipoic acid, I mean, it is just an extraordinary nutrient because it has this ability to recycle and uh, optimise the availability of both water-soluble and um, fat-soluble antioxidants in the bloodstream. And there's been really great evidence for that. And they do all sorts of uh, studies where they kind of um, take fluid, you know, follicular fluid from the actual ovarian follicle. And we know that there's really good evidence that if, you know, the higher a woman's alpha lipoic acid levels are, the higher her coenzyme Q10 levels are, there are better outcomes not only with embryo development but also with pregnancy. And alpha lipoic acid is also... Um, Got it. Got a lot of uh, evidence for uh, uh, reducing kind of insulin resistance, and so especially with our women who have a very high AMH, Tash, that you will see with that polycystic kind of cohort of women. That those women who um, who have high glucose levels, high insulin, you know, very kind of erratic ovulation function, lipoic acid can be uh, a huge game changer in re-establishing a better ovulation, helping the availability of insulin at that ovarian local level, um, balancing out the amount of eggs, you know, so especially with our women who are much more prone to hyperstimulation, producing too many eggs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and also good work with um, sperm motility as well, alpha lipoic acid. And again, I think it's just because it recycles all the other antioxidants and it helps with um, mitochondrial function is that in the male formula the fertility is a little bit yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but we've got high levels in the in the female formula and the other thing is i don't know if these were just mouse studies you might be able to tell me but i know that alpha lipoic acid is often used in the um embryo medium isn't it for i i know it's been in a lot of um my studies. I'm not quite sure if it's also been used in human studies mm. in the e embryo medium. Do you know that? I'm not sure, actually. A lot of um, clinics keep their media secret, like the Kentucky Fried Chicken formula. Um, recipe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good question, though. I'll have to ask the scientist that I uh, work with. 
Yeah, well, if they're happy just to, I mean, they don't have to give us the whole recipe, but I do wonder if alpha-lipoic acid is in there because I know with a lot of um, animal studies, there's been some good animal studies with lipoic acid. That's actually a really good idea for another podcast, actually, Amanda. Thank you. I've given you given me an idea now. <laughs> I have good. to get a scientist on board so we can, <laughs> you, you can talk about media. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. With your, you're doing a Bachelor of Medicines Management in Professional Honours with Professional Honours in Evidence Based Complementary Medicine. Yeah. Uh, tell us more a, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I'm only a third of a way into it, but. Um, I'm really loving it, and I, 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 and I, and I think it's important that we're seeing, uh, you, you know, that that we're, you know, that that, is, that increased kind of credibility that's kind of coming with nutritional medicine, and it's, you know, for me, it's just I, I love to be learning anyway, so I love to have that opportunity to be um, having that access to all those studies. That's the great thing about student, you get free access to all these journals and, and studies out there and also to be able to just get more and more educated and, and about what is good quality evidence and what isn't. Um, so, yeah, so far it's been totally fascinating I haven't got up to the bit where you've got to kind of do a thesis at the end which I'm not looking <laughs> forward to but at the moment being you know a third of the way I'm, I'm kind of coming up to halfway through and is it all um, online it is all online yeah it's actually out of a university in Tasmania so you can do it in Tasmania but for me I'm just doing one subject at a time they're big chunky subjects um what was your favorite subject been so far well, all of my subjects have all so far been research-based. So it's, they've all, we, we look at the different pathologies coming up. So because I'm just doing the first kind of four subjects at the moment, they've all just been much more kind of research. So they've, they've more been just looking at, you know, all the different quality trials, all the different levels of evidence, all the kind of statistics. Looking at things like p values and you know confidence intervals and all of that kind of stuff, so teaching you better understanding about being a bit more discerning with the research. But um, I think I'll look forward to the further subjects a bit further when I get to them because they're translating that a lot of a lot of that information into the different um, body uh, body systems from next year onwards. Are there lots of lots of naturopaths doing that course with you? That you know. Yeah. Of? Well, there's actually a. Um, there's doctors, there's pharmacists, there's quite a few pharmacists who are doing that course. A lot of, a lot of naturopaths as post-grad are doing that. I've also seen chiropractors in the student group too because we have a bit of communication, obviously, over Facebook group. Um, so it's a bit of a collection. It's not just naturopaths, but, um, yeah, they're a bit of a collection of different practitioners in there. On the topic of naturopaths, what are your top tips uh, for how they can work with, with fertility practitioners like me? How can we work yeah. together? Yeah, and I think it's a great question. And equally, uh, you know, I would ask your feedback on that too. I, I think, I, you know, and I think all, all, all of us are aiming towards a more um, personalised patient care. And I think the first thing is we need to be listening to our patients. 
and we need to be um, supportive and honouring their decisions and how they want to kind of progress their their health um, journey. And that's why I think that they have the right to have everybody, whoever they want to have in their healthcare team. And I think it's really important for any, I mean, you know, this is why we, you know, my other clinic that I work in the city where um, I love having that uh, opportunity to just have a very kind of uh, multidisciplinary kind of approach and that all of us who are in that healthcare team for that particular patient, that we can be collaborative and uh, communicate with each other and be very transparent about what we're suggesting or what we're concerned about. You know, I work with a lot of kind of gynaecologists and I know that uh, they often their first port of call for a patient with uh, managing her symptoms might be the pill where I often like to kind of suggest to that patient or if that's a, if, if that patient wants to kind of walk a different road but then what I will suggest well should we try and see whether we can manage things a bit better naturally rather because whilst ever you're on the pill we don't know what your symptoms are really kind of doing under that I mean I mean I'm all about um a woman's health not being so life impacting so if we exhaust those naturopathic approaches and or that's the best decision for her then it's about also honoring her decision making in the process um but I also do think we need to communicate I think we've got to keep writing letters to each other and I think we all have to be very aware of where our medicine does start and stop. You know, we all um, need to be equally that that's, I'm always referring to IVF doctors or I'm always referring to other specialists. So my patients are being investigated really kind of thoroughly. And, and I think it's really important for all, all of us to very much acknowledge what is in our jurisdiction and and what and what isn't and that we collaborate and, that, and that's when I'll say you need to go see Tash or you need to get some investigation here or the best thing for you is to do a laparoscopy and to rule out endometriosis etc cetera, etc cetera, because we're not getting the results that we would expect etc um and that's what I that, that's what I, I think is important and I, and I really hope for that that ongoing because as you know Tash you know 70% of patients who are trying to conceive for example are seeing a complementary medicine practitioner as well mm. and a lot of them are very reluctant to disclose that to their their specialist or their other clinicians and I think that's poor medicine if if uh, and poor management for, for that patient if they can't be transparent about the other advice that or or treatment that they're seeking that they're seeking mm. i think it's also some patients sometimes forget that supplements are are powerful and they have effects so they forget to tell yeah. the doctor it's a bit like yeah. um Sometimes you ask patients what medications are you taking and they forget to say the pill because they don't think yeah. of the pill as a drug. Um, yeah. Or withdrawal method, for example. Uh, they don't think withdrawal method as a form of contraception. So sometimes yeah. it's it's an omission on their part. And um, But often I agree it's because the doctor actually hasn't asked um, yeah. and, and openly asked you taking any herbs or any vitamins or minerals. Um, yeah. I think a really good thing – my recommendation for practitioners, fertility practitioners, that is 
Western medicine doctors like myself and naturopaths or even Chinese medicine practitioners is to actually sit in on each other's consultations. So over the last year, I've had a number of Chinese medicine doctors sit in with me for like a day. And it's been fantastic because the patients at the end of it walk out with not just a Western perspective, mine, but also the perspective of the Chinese medicine doctor. I mean, the consults take longer, but they are so um, enriching. And I know I leave work that day going, oh, my God, I did not know that about this herb or um, the Western, mm. the, the, you know, the the Eastern approach to things. Eastern approach. So I actually think that what they should do in the naturopathic uh, realm and also the fertility realm if I had my way in the colleges, I'd say, well, look, I think that naturopaths, doctors should spend a few hours in a practitioner's office just seeing how they approach things uh, so that then, you know, it, it is transparent uh, what, what the what the other side does so that then patients think, oh, and no, oh, I'm in good hands here. You know, I'm working with people who actually care about me, not so much about their egos, whatever it is. Um, that would that so I'd say to practitioners and naturopaths, reach out to your local fertility specialist to sit in with them, and most of yeah, them will say I, yes. I know, and I think any opportunity that a practitioner has to do that—that's what I say. Like even whenever we get the invitations to come and do a a tour of the IV, like I I say yes every time because things are changing so much, and I just love the opportunity of just being reminded about what what my patients are going mm. through and um I, I i agree i think that collaboration is i mean that's really what integrated medicine is about you know it is definitely about moving forward that we all um can be respectful and can collaborate and you know and and that our role is to you know, be in the support crew of our patients and and the decisions that they want to want to make. You know, mm. and uh, yeah, I think it's fascinating. If that, I was, I actually had an IVF doctor a couple of years ago, and I must kind of chase him up on it because he actually said to me, "If ever you want to come in for egg collection, Amanda, with one of your patients who's open to you coming in, like, yeah. come on in." You know, and you I should. was like, "You just need permission from the um the fertility from company." The patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. and then uh, absolutely you streamlined, and uh, if only, yeah. yeah, you should do that definitely. Yeah, I am going to do that. It's just only just when you mentioned that again that it reminded me. Yeah, especially I, if it's a mutual I really patient. Follow that up. Yeah, absolutely. And look, even where we work here at Darling Health, you know, uh, I've got an acupuncturist who works with me who absolutely specialises with fertility. She's also worked in IVF labs, her uh, IVF clinic. Sorry. herself and so we have so many shared patients and you know we know that that's kind of really powerful for our patients that they know that their care team is collaborating and talking and communicating so if there's things that she's picking up which again it's not my medicine I mean she comes from that very kind of eastern approach but I'm fascinated by what she's picking up with the patient's Pulse, for example. And I was going to say out. pulse. <laughs> yeah, well, she can come out of an appointment with one of our shared patients and tell me based on her pulse that she's pretty sure she's pregnant, yeah, you know, and we, ha- we haven't, we haven't even, her period's still a couple of days off. So, you know, we're like secretly, you know, so 
uh, excited that 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 could be the outcome. And she'll come out and go, her her pulse is amazing, you know. And that is just not a skill I have. So I'm incredibly kind of, um, yeah, just so respectful uh, of you know what what a powerful skill that other clinicians can have. So you're in Leichhardt. Whereabouts in Leichhardt exactly? We are just on Catherine Street in Leichhardt. We were in Balmain for about 15 years and two years ago we relocated here to Leichhardt. Yeah, I have to visit because I've I've been to your Balmain practice a few times. That was pretty big, that place. Yeah. 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 yeah and I've, no, I visited you at Paradigm. I visited you when you had a joint meeting with um, – with Dr. Paulette Maroon Paulette and there Maroon. was an acupuncturist there and I think there was somebody else. It was about two years ago. Yeah, that's yeah. right. There might have been there. We had an obstetrician there for a little while or there might have been a pelvic. Floor physio, uh, yep. Pelvic floor physio, et cetera. Yeah. So that's I, I like having just that opportunity to because, you know, you can just get stuck in your own little kind of rut of practice, can't you? Like just sometimes when you're just behind your own kind of closed doors of your office. So I love having the opportunity of going into the, that practice one day. A week I see a bit of a different um, patient kind of co- cohort. What my practice here is more uh, fertility a bit, mm. and, and there is a bit more kind of gynecological, but so it's nice to, to have that kind of uh, alternative practice. So And just, you know, again, just collaborating with people's different ideas, you know, it's great because I work with a gynecologist there. She'll tell me how severe the endometriosis was. You know, she would have just taken one of our shared patients into surgery, et cetera. Mm. And I really value having, um, yeah, just such open kind of conversation and communication about our patients. I think a lot of naturopaths would be envious of you, Amanda. I know they would. <laughs> I feel very blessed. I feel very blessed for um yeah my my practice and my opportunities and the people I get to collaborate with I, I do I, I it's a total privilege yeah working with my patients is a privilege but yeah. also the people that I get to collaborate with is a privilege so which people uh, in your life have been your biggest inspirations Amanda well you know that's a very good segue because I've got to say so many of my patients uh, absolutely huge. Oh, wow. I mean, I, they really are, you know. Look, you know, Tash, women are my people. I, I, I definitely um, are happy to admit that, you know. I I love women's humour. I love the company of women. I am, there is not a day in my working life that I am not inspired by a woman, you know, uh, and, I, uh, and I feel very privileged. There's not a day in my working life that I, Usually don't have a woman who is crying in my rooms and I feel very privileged that she's sharing her story with me. Um, I have several older patients who, um, are a huge inspiration for me because they've, you know, had a life and they've been through monumental grief and loss. Um, but they still live a very, you know, deeply connected and, uh, conscious life. And, you know, a lot of older women who advocate for the vulnerable and, do good voluntary work and, you know, t- teach me a lot. So I feel very, very blessed. I also have a wonderful mother-in-law who is incredibly, she had a history of a, she was a pharmacist, so we often share our love of medicine. Um, but she has 
educated her herself into her old age and she volunteers with vulnerable kids and mm-hmm. she can pull a great quote out when you need it and <laughs> she's been a really good inspiration for being opinionated but also loving deeply and um, I, I think it's great to be able to have women around you who are, who are like that. So I'm very lucky. And look, even my daughters and, and, and my daughter-in-law, they're a huge inspiration for me. Just watching young people who live with such consciousness and such passion and are very uh, purposeful in um, their decisions they make in their life. You know, I'm also inspired by uh, very much by older generations and by younger generations too. So and I'm very, you know, there's, and there's people that you read, like, you know, I love, um, a lot of Christiane Northrop's work. I read a lot of Maya Angelou's essays and I love her quotes uh, about, you know, standing up for yourself and standing up for all women around you, you know, um, there, you know, there's, 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 there's um, I, but, but I think it's women that, um, uh, more likely inspired by, but they're them. They're my people. Then they're, they're the people that I spend time with all day, every day. And, I, and I'm not. And I am. am so blessed for blessed for having a great husband and a totally gorgeous son in my life as well. But um, I do am lucky to have. I, I get inspiration from them every day. I think I'll have to um, read our listeners a Maya Angelou poem at the end of this interview. Oh, I would um, love you too. Yeah, I, I love her too. I think it's still I rise. I Which one's that one? Oh, I've got that someone that that I'll read it out to our listeners at the end of this interview, and I'll but dedicate it to you, you, Amanda. Oh well, I would be happy to receive that. I don't know if I'm worthy of it, but I will. Have to <laughs> of course, that. you are. And she does, and she does have that other beautiful quote, and and I think it is something like you know, every time a woman does stand up for herself, she stands up for all women, and I. I think that's an important way to uh, live our lives or to remember to live our lives. Yep. As I like to say, you can, what, 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 pussy power, women power, it's power, feminine yeah, power. Yeah, absolutely. Favourite yeah, books? Do you have any favourite books so, apart from okay. Maya Angelou? So, uh, yeah, so I, I love her writing. Um, so are we talking about um, – any books that they were talking about, kind of novels as well. Yeah, or? any books. I always like to ask about specific books um, to your uh, practice. So maybe naturopathic books or books on herbs, and then of course things yeah. that you like to read in your spare time. Yeah. Leisure. So look, the the Doctor Christiane Northrop. I like. I love a lot of her books, which are about women's wisdom. I mean, she's she's had that history of a gynecologist, but also really looks at the whole kind of mind-body relationship um, and she's written a lot of books on women's health and, yeah, I just I just really love her um, translation on a lot of gynecological problems and how that can really affect the whole woman um, and the whole mind-body connection with that. Um, you know, good books, I think, for, from a fertility point of view is, you know, Rebecca Fett's book, you know, It Starts With The Egg, has got really good sound evidence, again, about nutrition and its impact on women's fertility. There's a great uh, diet book for pregnancy by a woman called Lily Nichols called Real Food 
for pregnancy, which is really just good, healthy, whole food, sensible advice. Uh, which so they're often books that I do recommend for my patients when they want more um, reading. There's also a great woman in. Um, she's actually Sydney based, and she's got a, a recently published book um, called simple, soulful and sacred and she talks about it being a woman's guide to um, coming home to, to coming home to herself. And that's that kind of book that you can just open at any page or, you know, it has all those like, you know, really nice little uh, of quotes or um, little kind of inspiring kind of comments and every chapter is only about a page so it's a nice thing just to read first thing in the morning or last thing before you go to bed. I really love the book. Her name's Megan Dalla Kamina and she is Sydney-based. But, you know, books that are kind of really, I suppose, that you always remember and have kind of changed your, your life or books that you, those ones in your bookcase that you can never throw out is definitely Virginia Woolf, A Room of One's Own. I love um, that book and that whole kind of concept behind the need to have a place for yourself, having that sacred place. Jeanette Winterson's books I love. Um, I also love The Shipping News. I could pick up The Shipping News and mm. read that over and over. I have to read that. I've not read that. You would love The Shipping News. The characters are so uh, deep and the book is so atmos atmospheric. And it's, there's sadness and grief in it. Read it. Read it before you see the movie. They did a movie <laughs> on it, but yeah. make sure you read the book. And all the characters, Tash, have the best names. So their their characters are almost that kind of onomatopoeia. You know, like the main character is wavy, and there's another oh. character, Petal, oh, right. and everything. So they've all got great names. Yeah. Is it an Australian author? No, Annie Prull is. I think she's Canadian, okay. and she's really inspiring. She brought up her three boys and never read a book, uh, never wrote a book in her life and I think when her children grew up she was just kind of sat down and thought she'd write herself. She also wrote um, Brokeback Mountain. Oh, I see, yes. Yeah. I haven't read that either yeah. but I definitely know that movie. Yes, absolutely. But she's great. She's um, Yeah, you, you should do the shipping news for your book club. Okay. It's a great read. Another one to add to the list, the growing list. How about songs yeah. that make you happy, Amanda? This was such a hard question. <laughs> so, and or genre. You know, yeah, well, I just, for me, it's a bit of everything, you know, and I suppose you can only answer for the time that you're right in at the moment. But, you know, a song that's got so much resonance for me is um, Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. Okay. Um, but, but also because, you know, uh, my son, my son just got married and that was a, a string called quartet played Bittersweet Symphony as his beloved walked down the aisle and it wasn't, and that was just happened last year so it was an incredibly happy day for our family watching my son at that moment was just this beautiful, indelible, enduring memory of him. God, that would I, be weird, wouldn't it? Hey, I'm giving birth to a little baby, grows up to a man and then sees him get married. That would be a bit of a mind blow. It is a bit of it. Mm. It, it had it, it. You you. It's an incredibly meaningful time without any question. 
Um, I also love the song Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. It kind of really is, reminds me of a bit of where I am in my life at the moment with my children growing up and, you know, all the different shifts that are going on around me. Um, and when I have a boogie, I love uh, a song called Cool On by um, The Roots. It's great. It's really great. So both, both my husband and I, we love The Roots. So if we're having a boogie in the kitchen when we're cooking, you know, it, it, it's often cool on. It's good that you and agree with funny. the same music. Yeah, we do. We do. So, um, And the words are just great. It's such poetry. Really and my last question is your dream collaboration. Do you have one? Can you share it with us? Well, I'm kind of, um, well, to be honest, when you were talking about, you know, collaborating with other clinicians and sitting in on each other's appointments and being able to kind of be observing and witnessing, um, uh, you know, other people's medicines and, you know, offering that deeper care for patients, that rang quite a few bells in my head and I do think that's such an important thing that we should be aiming for as clinicians collaborating but um I do have a little love project that I just started this year which is a bit of a passion project anyway which is a bit of uh collaboration with um some other kind of younger women in my life which is great where we've got a new little project called sister space which is um care packages it's on it was it was the whole idea was really kind of born out of you know, I have so many women going through difficult times or having another IVF failure or having another miscarriage or my friends, their parents dying or whatever it is, you know, and it's it's just trying to look at something symbolic about how do we honour women when they're in their time. You know, we give them flowers and obviously we're on the end of the phone, but it made me realise how... Um, I think we're missing that kind of concept of ritual in our in our life, and that previous generations always had the Sabbath, and um, I feel like we're missing a lot on on the Sabbath. So I kind of dreamt up this little co collaboration, which is looking at um, offering care packages to other women in our life, but not just to honour that woman, but um, it's kind of donating to different charities. So each of the care packages women will decide on a women's uh, health charity that can be Australian or worldwide and thing to donate to. So I feel for me that I, as I get older, I want to be doing things that, you know, honour our connection to each other as women but also to the world of women, you know. So I've been uh, heading, heading, in that, he heading in that direction and trying to kind of collaborate with, some great initiatives and charities out there doing really great work, work and just remembering, you know, how connected we are and to always remember those less fortunate. So is that going to be online soon? Should we look out for that? It is online. Yeah, it's just starting. It's just it's a, a little business called kind of Sisters Faith, but it's all about kind of collaborating and, and giving back and, and just and just honouring the fact that women do care for each other. We're the carers, you know, mm. like that's what we do uh, really well. So, um, but yeah, I, I that that kind of connection, that, that that kind of collaboration, I've been really 
enjoying and it has involved me working with a lot of younger women which has also just been mm. um, just a really great experience really. Amanda Habright, or as I like to call you, Habrecht, thank you so much for chatting today. You've inspired me to do quite a few things after this talk, including reading Maya Angelou. Thank you so much. It's a total pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity. I really um, enjoyed the chat myself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, Phenomenal Women. One last poem by Maya Angelou, my favourite treat for those of you who have hung around to the end. Thank you so much. This is my favourite poem of hers and it's called Still I Rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides just like hope springing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed-headed and lowered eyes, shoulders falling like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard, because I'll laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words, You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness, but still like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Amanda Highbreak and that it's made you appreciate the role of the naturopath in healthcare and maybe a bit of Maya Angelou. Please share this episode with others if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, call people like an interview or books or poems to read. And until next time, stay phenomenal.